sorry, I'm sorry. I love you, Vinny. Oh, I saw Lily there today, um, there Sunday, and oh my gosh. Oh, okay. Um, today's scripture reading is from Hebrews 11, 23, 28. Uh, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw him as a child or saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Um, sorry. Choosing rather... All right, here. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking... For he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, without alarming anyone, I want to confess to you that I've entered into rehab. Yes, I'm finally admitting that I have a weakness that I can't overcome. Now, this is not the rehab you may be thinking. I'm in physical rehabilitation, physical therapy, uh, for the rotator cuff area in my left shoulder. Now, the need started years ago. In fact, uh, a long time ago, I can remember playing tennis and uh, throwing the ball up with my left hand and feeling a lot of weakness in my left shoulder. And then we recently went to Denver, um, related to the passing of my father-in-law, and um, the trip, I was just, I was miserable. My left shoulder was in acute pain. I couldn't lift luggage. Um, didn't feel very well. And so it's interesting as I rehearse back in my mind what I was thinking uh, when I've, I've been enduring this and putting up with it for a long time. Why didn't I get help earlier? You know, it's kind of strange. I'm right handed. And so as I've thought about what I was thinking in my mind, I thought. I can do most things with my right hand. What do I need my left hand for? Now, you might think, that this guy's a very strange person. I mean, I don't think my, hands, my arm's going to fall off. And, um, you know, I can lift a coffee cup. You know. I mean, I can do certain things. In fact, um, the more I think about it, it's really a ridiculous thought, that what I was thinking about, because it was hard for me to shampoo my hair. Um, isn't that funny? Then I just thought, well, I'm just right-handed. I'll make it. I can make do. It's strange. And now a process underway is happening in me. I've had to admit my need, and I've had to get outside help. And have they pinpointed the problem? Physical, uh, physical therapy sounds just like a wonderful, like maybe a little massage, you know. These people are not kind. <laughs> they look it, but oh, be careful. So, 
Um, does that hurt? Oh, yeah, it does. <laughs> so we're in a series on change. Uh, you're a brave people. Uh, every once in a while, we want to target in a topical way. We usually we go through books of the Bible. In, in, a, in a, Once in a while, we go through a topical series. Last summer, we did the gospel-driven life or gospel-centered life last summer. Now we're just doing this short little series on, on you can change, on, on the idea of change. Uh, and then next week, we're going to start the book of Jonah and the season of Lent, which is about six Sundays, which really is a, a time of preparation leading up to Good Friday and then uh, the glorious Easter morning. Uh, so we're going to look at the book of Jonah uh, for our Lenten series, and that starts next Sunday. So if you'd like to begin to read the book of Jonah, rejoin me in prayer as we think about today. Our Father, I thank you that you are in the change business. Father, that we could cry out to you and identify and understand our need. And if we would cry out, Father, bring that change to me. Oh, would you do that work in us? Father, I actually believe that I could just live with one arm. What other areas of my life must I think I can, in my own rebellion, figure out life, make it on my own. I wonder how many today think that way. And yet you, through your son, are in an extraordinary, full restoration process. You are committed not only to our own individual lives, but the, the growth of the church, the health of the church. Father, we pray for pulpits around Oahu now who are Preachers are standing in front of groups of people and they're bringing Jesus Christ to bear upon hearts. We pray for them. We pray, Lord, that you will come to show us what your Son has done for us and do this in the power of the Holy Spirit and make this time unmistakable that you are here, you are present. I humbly ask for your help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A recent gathering of pastors, a recent gathering of pastors, someone in front of them asked two questions. And the first question was, what is in your life that you do not want there? And the second question is, what is, what is absent from your life that you do want there? That gets right down to the point, doesn't it? What is in your life that you don't want there? And then what's missing in your life that you do want? And I hope that as you listen to this morning, think about that. Write, write something down. Are you angry? Are you impatient? Um, are you critical of other people? Uh, is uh, extending grace to other people hard? Are you interested in other people? It's all about you? What, what, what's going on inside you and then also, what's missing? What's missing? So think about that. In Hebrews 11, what's interesting about this passage is that Hebrews 11 is telling us or showing us what these great saints did. It's showing us their actions. And what's remarkable about, about this particular passage in, in 24 and following, right through there, just those, first, those three verses, 24, 25, 26, what's interesting is that the writer of Hebrews, under divine inspiration, gives us more than the book of Exodus gives us and tells us 
What was the thinking of Moses' heart that led to action? So Moses experienced change. Now, if you saw me walking out of room 301 in the Kailua Medical Arts Building this week, you would see my action. You'd see he was in that room, and maybe we meet in the hallway. And then you would inquire, hey, that's a physical therapy place. What's going on? You'd want to know what my motive was, what's the pain, what's, what's happening inside me. This passage is telling us what's happening inside Moses. Moses saw something of God. Now, we have to go into the book of Exodus a little bit, dip in there, look at a few things, because we're, we're not really 100% sure at what point did Moses see these kinds of things. We're not really sure. Exodus 3 would be a good place to go, where he has the encounter on the, of the burning bush. And uh, God approaches him. It's a, what, what theologians call a theophany, a manifestation of God in the Old Testament. And God's first words are, Moses, remove the, the sandals of your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. That's Moses' first encounter. And Moses begins to see something about his condition and then something about the person of God. And this now begins the change process. So I want you to look at uh, your, your outline just very briefly. Take a look at it. And uh, real quickly, Moses saw his spiritual condition. Moses saw that God is good. And Moses saw that God is gracious. And um, I, we just going to explore the, these kinds of things this morning in the time that we have. Verse 24, Hebrews 11. Listen to this. By faith when he was grown up. Now that's when it happened. By faith when he was grown up. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. You can hear, you can see, you can, you can imagine Moses is now weighing this incredible civilization, Egypt, its wealth, its prosperity, I mean, it, it really was the big civilization of the time. And Moses transitioned from looking to Egypt to provide everything for him, and he did something dramatic, brave, courageous, extraordinary. He said, I'm turning my back on this privilege, and I am going to disregard the personal pain of this decision. Do you want change? I, I can tell you the authority of the word of God. If you desire to change, God will accompany you with power and power to do things you didn't think were possible and it will, and it will have something to do with difficult things. I'd like to tell you that you're a king's kid and you should get a fancy car. I, you know, I do tell, openly say that if I could move into heresy... I would be a health, wealth, prosperity preacher because it's got to work for me first. You won't buy it, right? It's got to work for me first. I'm just having fun with you. What I mean by that is that when we, you know, this gets so twisted in the, in the church today. When we think about power, we go, yeah, I like power for this or that, to possess this, to own this. 
is to be his power to die to self. In fact, under divine inspiration, we find that the writer of Hebrews is now saying Moses was considering the Redeemer, Christ. He was thinking in terms of his salvation. He was thinking in terms of his his situation before a holy God. And he knew that God was going to provide a solution to that situation, and that solution was greater than the treasures of Egypt. Egypt could not offer Moses redemption. And he figured it out. Egypt could never give Moses the status of an adopted son of the true God. Now, there was a false god, Pharaoh, who claimed to be divine, who, was, who had adopted Moses. But nowhere could Moses find this extraordinary opportunity to be the adopted son of the living God. Now, let's explore just a few things. And I, number one here is that Moses saw his spiritual condition, and he saw that that was dire. <clears throat> And this is the the source of all true spiritual change. Moses saw his condition was dire and therefore his need was real. You can take anyone in the Old Testament and if God is moving in them, you can take anyone in the New Testament and if God is moving in them, they have the same experience. No one has God moving in them and it increases their pride. It doesn't happen. Everyone upon whom God moves, you think of anyone. David, Peter, Jeremiah, any of your faith, any, any, bring, them, bring them to mind. God humbles them and, and ex, ex, exposes their minds and their hearts to their true condition. No progress is made into understanding the good news of Jesus Christ until a person gets to this place. No progress. It is a place where our need is made real to us and it is pressing upon us and it is real, it is real, it is real and we can't escape it. For me, I thought I had a need and it would be fulfilled by my right arm. I can escape living with two arms. The need for two arms. I have a strong right arm. You see? And I can fake it for the rest of my life. I don't need two arms. I'm telling you the truth. That is, I told my physical therapist this week. So, so what was going on in your mind? I mean, this, how long has this been going? It's kind of the awkward thing. I think I'm about five years. Like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> five years? I think so. I don't know. How did it happen? I don't really know. I don't know. So is, the, is your real need, do you, are you aware of your real need? In fact, even if you're here this morning, your heart is hard. You say, I don't, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't, even know, I don't even relate to what you're talking about. I'm just trying to get through the service. The smartest prayer you could say is, Lord, this man has been talking about need and weakness and to discovering my need. I don't know what it is, but show me. Show me my need. Most of us think we can manage our lives just fine. I, not a single one of you asked for this series. <laughs> it's 
also, all of you are, I mean, you're all competent people. You're all, look at these professionals out here. You're all, you, you got it together. What is your need of, of God right now? Moses grew up, and he had no needs. He's the son of the Pharaoh. Imagine he walks through the marketplace. Whoa, did people bow down to him? And somewhere when he had grown up, Hebrews 11.24, he, somewhere when he had grown up, something became really real. And you know, with spiritual things, when you, when you see it, you can never unsee it. That's the trouble. It's dangerous to expose yourself to Scripture. Very dangerous. You'll never be the same. And what Moses saw, he could not deny. He just couldn't deny it. He's willing to walk in a hot desert with a bunch of rebels who didn't like him, didn't want him, and and say, the joy of following this living God is better than hanging out with these people. But I I can endure this because there's a deeper something connecting with pleasure going on in my heart. The greatest, wisest person who ever lived gathered up a group of people together on a mountain, a small mountain. It was not Socrates. It was not Siddhartha. It was not Muhammad. It was Jesus. And the most wise words to ever be said to people were, were uttered from his, from his mouth. And the very first words are recorded in Matthew 5, 3. These words come out of the mouth of Jesus. Blessed. Everyone leans in. Oh, I want to be blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What a strange thing to say. He doesn't say blessed are those who got it together. Blessed are those who've acquired much. Blessed are those who've, who've accomplished much. Blessed are those who are spiritually bankrupt. Those who understand the situation is dire. Before God will greatly use a person, he gives them a great vision of himself, and that vision wipes us out. Can you imagine anything so powerful that if you saw it, and you embraced it, and you experienced it, something so powerful that you'd be willing to suffer? That's a vision of God who has received someone who is poor of spirit. Because those who are poor of spirit are convinced that God should overlook them. God should not be engaged with them. God, they, they are moral failures. They don't have any pride in them. They're the, they're the, when Jesus would gather, they're the person in the back who's got their head down. He must only be chasing the obedient, the righteous. It's interesting that in education, a student makes no progress at all until they admit that they don't know. That's why I made no progress in high school. I was in the back saying, I don't need this. You know, in math class, you're sitting there going, I can go to 7-Eleven and get a Slurpee. I don't, have to, I don't need algebra to do that. These are goofy reasonings. I don't need this. 
What have you got to teach me? I grasp what's real on my own. I can make it. Who needs two arms? Blessed are the poor in spirit. They're getting closer to what's real. They're touching reality. And the first step is to say, I don't know. And a good teacher says, Hallelujah, let's sing Handel's Messiah. Wow, I've got a student in the classroom. Say it again. I don't know. I'm frustrated. I'm at the end of my wits. I can't figure it out. I've got a need, and I'm experiencing a disconnect. I want to be close to Jesus, but he can't be close to people who are moral failures. Therefore, I I am defeated. I am out of the kingdom. Someone else might be in the kingdom, a Pharisee maybe, but it's me, me, me. No. And to those, Jesus says, you may think you are far from the kingdom, but I will tell you that if you are sensing your need, sensing your need, feeling your need, you are in the kingdom. It is yours. All spiritual growth begins in poverty of spirit. And this had to be manifested in Moses. It had to be there at the burning bush, not sure when, likely in those early encounters with the living God. He is now repenting the Greek word metanoia. I'm turning in my mind, and a student in the classroom should have the experience of metanoia about 25 times a day. And, they're, and, and who would think they're making progress? <laughs> it doesn't feel like it. They are moving ahead. They're making progress. I didn't know that. Teacher, teach me. Remain teachable. Poor in spirit. The root word, poor, in the line, poor in spirit, the root word is the root from which they get the word in the New Testament or other places for crouching, for bowing down. Blessed is the one who's bowing down humble, convinced they could never meet God's standards. And if you are not a Christian here today, if this is your experience, you're saying, look, um, look, <laughs> uh, uh, you can't look into my, my life. I don't want anyone to look into my life. I hope God doesn't look into my life. If God looks into my life, I would never be wanted. I would never be welcomed. I am far from the kingdom. There's no way. If you are not a Christian here today, I want you to know, if you are processing your need and you're aware of it, please, I plead, talk to me. Talk to someone after the service. We want to dialogue with you. You are already manifesting the symptoms of poor in spirit. And it is my job and others around you to tell you that Jesus Christ is willing to receive you. And he's not ashamed of you. And be assured that God is holy and he doesn't just let people into his kingdom because he has relaxed his standards. What the Bible calls sin, our rebellion, was placed on his son. His son cried, it is finished. And Christians grow in response to that statement. We get strength from him to change. And then I must warn you, there were many people who encountered Jesus with no interest in being poor in spirit and no interest in learning from him. And they came to justify themselves. They were like a stone skipping across a pond. 
They did not come to Jesus in order to be changed, and Jesus warned them, you have no hope apart from me. What I was doing by saying I have a good right arm is justifying that I had no real need. I'm not about to admit my need. I am a recovering need denier. And so are you. So remember how we started off? What's in your life that you do not want there? One thing you could do is this. Is you could say, well, what's in my life is unbelief. I'm not convinced of my need. So it's inescapable that Moses saw his need. And then what's really interesting is this, is that as I've gone in for this physical therapy, I've thought, just just isolate the muscle, we'll get it strong, and I'll be on my way. And they have this crazy idea of completely looking at my whole shoulder system. They're looking at my right shoulder. I'm saying, over here. They say, oh, no, no. And then look at your posture. Huh. Your back muscles. Interesting. What about your neck? And now they're starting to see how tweaked I am and how all the troubles that are connected, and there is one trouble, but it's a troubled system. Who would have thought? And there's this guy, and he grabs my shoulder. I don't like it that close to a man. (laughs) And he grabs my shoulder. He He holds me to himself. And he pulls on it. He's moving around. He's he's feeling the flexibility. Okay, all right, I'll give you one shoulder. He does it on the other side. He does that and grabs and pushes and pulls. I'm in a workout room with stretch bands and weights and therapists, and they are going after the bigger issue of my whole shoulder system, not just a muscle. God's doing that with you. You think you have an anger problem? You've got a system-wide breakdown. And you've got resources of the church. Because we've all got a system-wide breakdown. The person next to you is just not willing to admit it. We all are, in a sense, recovering rebels, prodigals. That's what makes up the church. That's why we need each other. So, so this extraordinary, extraordinary story of Moses who changes as he encounters the living God. So, we're here for you. We're not surprised that you will discover your need and it'll go deep, deep, deep and it'll be a systemic problem. But we're here for you because we all have that same problem. And it's interesting, we are not going to just dispense advice or give you a little book of wisdom so you sit in a room by yourself and say, okay, I'll try. We change not so much because of knowledge, though knowledge will help. We change because we have a redeemer. We have someone in the room with us. He's with us now. And Moses traveled away from Egypt, said goodbye to its treasures with with God. Interesting. By God's grace, he was able to see that God would be with him. 
So it starts with this dire experience, desperate look at yourself, and then to realize that God is going to welcome you as you see your poverty of spirit. And then secondly, I'll just wrap this up. Secondly, God saw that, excuse me, Moses saw that he, God was good, and therefore he did not have to look elsewhere. Of course, he, he's essentially taking the whole of the Egyptian system, and that was the goodness that he grew up in. It was the pleasure he grew up in. It, was, it, it, it had, had meaning for him. And then God in his person had changed. A revelation of God's person had come to Moses. And this goodness, this goodness had replaced all perceptions of what was good for Moses growing up. It's interesting that Moses, when he has an opportunity later Later in the book of Exodus, when he's got God one-on-one, and you can sense he's waiting for this moment, Moses, it's like he looks this way, this way, and he asks God a question, and he says, show me your glory. I don't want to see this cloud anymore. I want to see you. That, that, would, that rises out of the heart because he's been tasting of the goodness of God, this redeemer who, who brought these slaves out, who's been patient, who's pitched his tent among his people. He's watching, he's experiencing the goodness of this God, and he wants to go at it and taste it and see it and get more of it. And God responds to this human need for experiencing the goodness of God, and God says, I will make all my goodness Pass. This is Exodus thirty three eighteen. I will make all my goodness pass before you. I have no idea how that happened. I'll make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. God, Moses came to an awareness of the highest standard of good, was the person of God, and he wanted it, an experience with this goodness. You see, this is what happens to one who is poor in spirit, because as they are welcomed in, as they are brought in, the shock of grace says, oh, I've got grace for you. The shock now begins to produce a curiosity. Who is this one who would be so kind to me? The apostles who set the world on fire were motivated not by sheer obedience or duty, but by passionate love for the one who gave his life for them. They were deeply rooted in this goodness of God. And it moves to ask questions of God, to pursue God. Moses knows that the condition of his heart is a kind of restlessness and he's, he's, he's asking, let me find peace with you. Let me experience you. I've got a trouble in my soul, and you and you alone, echoing Augustine's famous phrase, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they what? Rest. rest. That's what he's doing. He's asking, I want my heart to have an encounter with you that I can rest, to receive your goodness. To pursue, to, to lay down my restless pursuits. Satan went right after the goodness of God in the temptation in the garden. So here's the deal: you get all the, you get everything right. He says, "Oh no, we don't get everything. We, we, that's the tree we can't partake of." Whoa! Wait a minute. Sit, sit again. How does this work? 
You mean the one tree you should take? The one tree that will give you all that you need? The one tree that will reveal to you mysteries beyond mysteries? The one tree that will help you become fully alive? That's the one tree you don't get to partake in. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. And you call this God good, right? That, right? I mean, this, you see, the human heart since the fall has had a fundamental suspicion of the goodness of God. Moses is given a revelation of the living God. Exodus 3, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the goodness of God is now beginning to be revealed to Moses. He is remembering. He doesn't forget the oppressed. He's sovereignly moving over a thing we call history. This, this one who's revealed himself to me is good. Good. Spiritual growth is asking for more. And then... Moses saw that God is gracious, and therefore he didn't have to prove himself. He didn't have to prove himself anymore. The movement of Moses' heart is that he doesn't have to receive the status of Egypt anymore. He can actually now resist status-seeking. And now he's, you can see all these connections in the Bible. Whenever God works upon someone, it's always a descent, John the Baptist, he must, he must ascend and I must descend. It happens in all the prophets. It's a descent. And, and the opposite of poor in spirit is really status-seeking. The self is always being carried into a room. What are these people good for? How do they make me look? What can I get out of this conversation? How will this help me? Status, grow. I'm growing in my influence. I'm becoming someone. Moses again travels with these people on a hot day, out of the hot sand desert, in order to serve this God who has been so gracious. He does not have to prove himself anymore. I was wondering about proving oneself, becoming someone. It's probably one of the bigger idols of our culture. I don't know what you think. Self-acclaim, self-success, self-achievement. We long to hear people acclaim that we have made it. Moses, by God's grace, just slays this impulse. Sounds strange, doesn't it? Moses lost his status in Egypt willingly, joyfully, happily. Egyptian life went on. They had their celebrities. They had their... Stars. Moses walks out into a world of anonymity, dies in the desert. Of course, he's going to be one of the more famous people in all world history. But he wrapped himself up in this powerful deliverance of Israel, and he ultimately trusted in the son that God would send. So process of change is always the same. First, step one, poverty of spirit. Step two, is, uh, is really, I, I own my rebellion. Uh, that's what Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. Remember, that's the second beatitude. I'm my own self-accuser. Who would think that that's progress spiritually? 
It's very important. It gives you a humble stance toward everyone. Uh, you can equal their sin. And so the process is the same for everyone. Poverty of spirit, and then I see my spiritual bankruptcy. And then what's quite interesting is that the next thing is that there's the formation of a new stance in the heart. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And then blessed are the meek, for they shall what? Inherit the earth. They feel they don't, they don't own anything. They're overlooked. They've stopped proving themselves. They've stopped taking. Their self is sort of, sort of disintegrated a bit. They're convinced they don't have anything and they don't have any rights to anything. How could we claim we have a right to the new heaven and new earth? And Jesus says, oh, the stance of that heart, the stance of that heart needs to be assured you have it. So the point of this is this. Spiritual progress and spiritual change may sound like introspection. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Are you poor in spirit? How poor in spirit are you? Oh, blah, blah, blah. And it's this inward, inward, inward. And churches can go just inward, inward, keep going inward. It moves inward. But meekness, which is a characteristic of Moses, meekness is a wild horse, broken, and listening to its master. Meekness is strength under authority. Meekness is conquering the world right now. And what the meek think, the meek think they're forgotten, not remembered, don't have any rights to anything, could never claim anything. And Jesus wants to assure them, oh, God never, ever forgets the humility of your heart, the stance of your heart. So, what do you see as we conclude? Do you see your spiritual condition? Do you see it? Do you see your need? You need both arms. You need new truth to invade your soul, to replace these falsehoods that you've embraced. Christian, it's true for you. Non-Christian, it's true for you. Let's, Let's let God do this extraordinary work of change in our hearts and receive it willingly. Will you join me in prayer? Father, thank you so much that you are a God of change that you are at work, that you are moving, you are not letting us go, you are our redeemer. Father, thank you that we're here together, that the people next to us are in the same process of change. Help us to say yes to you. Help us to know that there is no need that's so dire or deep or troubling that you have not brought your son to bear upon that concern. You are a God who has loved the sinner that we can't even yet see. And we love you for it. We thank you for the, the, 
the propulsion of your grace that you're moving in us, giving us new affections, changing us. We ask, Lord, you would continue the process and we will give you praise. Amen.